It's the second cup of Joe and John with Joe Elvis and John Dwyer. Joe, how you doing? Lovely. As we uh, evolve with this podcast, I want to add a new segment and we'll see if it works, okay? It's like episode 30 almost. Thir- no, we're 32. 32. You don't care about it. Love you it. don't care about this. It's great. You just mail it in, dude. It's good. I call you forever stamp. Year- you just mail it in. It's a good year end. You know, we worked out all year. We're in the best shape of our lives. 32 shows. So there, Part of yeah. that's true. So so I like this. Um, in, in memory of the late, great Joe Biddle, uh, the columnist who just passed away, dear friend, uh, he began his banner columns on on Sunday and then in the Tennessean. He, he would just start. It was a stream of consciousness, a lot like Larry King did in USA Today in the 80s and 90s. And people that uh, are younger than 25 had no idea, who, one, who Larry King is and that there was a column there in, in uh, that he did. But um, Joe would write uh, random ruminations while wondering where whatever happened to so-and-so, all right? So I'm going to start this out, and then we're going to tell you where that person is, okay? So random ruminations, okay, in honor of Joe Biddle, uh, while wondering whatever happened to Billy Squire. Still around. Yeah, uh, yes, he is. No, we're not playing dead or alive. I mean, I didn't, I mean, we're not doing that. (laughs) But uh, we will tell people where that is. And certainly because this is natural centric, uh, who would you pick? I mean, just somebody random. I know I'm putting you on the spot. We do no show prep. Wondering where, you know, just some obscure. It, uh, it, I, I got one for you. Maybe uh, who was a uh, Philadelphia Philly uh, player in on the 1980 besides Pete Rose and Schmidt? Steve Carlton. Yeah, where's Steve Carlton? He's still alive. Is he? Yeah, I think so. Still bitter because he didn't uh, get in the Hall of Fame when he should have and all that. Know. He you was know, a real pain in the I played, butt for people, I, I think. I played right? dead or alive on my afternoon radio show a little bit. We would bark out like Billy Squire and, you know, nine people, dead, 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 dead. <laughs> and he just had a birthday and he's well alive or something. You, you know, know so. about, okay. I don't know those things. Well, I do come up with a lot of people in life, uh, just in general. Well, you know, it's people you watch on TV and when they die, you'll say, oh, I already. Kirstie Alley. They were just, dead. Just went. That, just that was a bummer. That was a big one. Yeah, she was. And she got a, a late start, I think. I mean, she was. You'll know this better. Your, your sports knowledge and insight is so tremendous. I could bring up Fiesta Bowl 1988, who was in it. Well, that was Notre Dame, West Virginia. See, don't, don't. I mean, I just totally Major Harris was the West Virginia quarterback, by the See, way. See, don't know those. John knows. So you would. Useless now. Wax me on any type of memory. Um, in, in, in your Nashville sports days, mm-hmm. uh, so who was the lineup then? It was John Dwyer, News 2, probably Rudy Kalis. Rudy and Char- Hope. Charlie Mack Alexander? Was, no, he was, no. He Char- I met Charlie Mack uh, years later. And, I didn't know who, I didn't know because I just didn't have a reference And then point. Hope Hines at Channel Hope 5. Was there. Hope Did you guys there. get along? Or was when you guys were in the same room, was oh, a little bit of a hockey we, fight? We actually. always, there was always a... Um, if we were, I'll, I'll say this, we are competitive, okay? And if you've seen the movie Anchorman, you know, Channel 2, you guys are always in third place or whatever. We're trying to keep this clean for our guests because we have always gone explicit and we don't mean to. We just kind of fall off the cliff somewhere. Uh, but yeah, we got, I'm, I'll be honest with you, I, we, we were friends, but we were never, you know, we never, I didn't get a Christmas card and vice versa. And I think they did a few things that I, wouldn't have done personally. Uh, and, and I called him on it. Uh, but it's, it's okay. I think it's a pretty good fraternity. I think Nashville, I think, and, and it leads to who our guest is, which is fantastic. Let's hit it. Hey, we know 
show people. Let's take a spin through Joe and John's Rolodex. Where's it stop, Joe? Today we're double D, double down, and double D. And uh, we did talk a little Nashville. No, we're not. What's your last name? History. Oh well, see O'Day, but I'm keep, you know. <laughs> I would call her Double D if I was in the uh, office, maybe. I just made that up on the spot. I won't do it anymore. That is, we're, uh, we could go in so many directions, and it's we're, it, we're going to keep our, our family PG. It, go ahead. Devin is going to have commentary on all our uh, eras of broadcasting because uh, she is absolutely one true, beautiful spirit that has come through in her life uh, because of her personality. So many people come to work in the broadcasting industry because I want to be on TV or I want to be on the radio. Uh, but Devin is 150% solid content. Uh, you get what you get with Devin. She's just the same in person as she is on the mic. You heard her for, I don't know, she'll tell us the timeline, but decade plus with Jerry House, probably the, the hottest radio morning show in Nashville uh, in some time on the big 98 WSIX. Devin also did did a stint on WSM AM as an afternoon show. She's author of books. Uh, she's here on Main Street Media. You can see her show. Three shows we'll talk about that she produces out. And she's an animal rescuer and just a great spirit. Devin, it's a big day for me because I was one of those radio fans that listened to you every morning. And we are very grateful to have you here on the second cup of Joe. And John! <laughs> I'm going to laugh a lot. I mean, that's the thing about you. Be ready on the sound because I laugh really loud. <laughs> Good. I, I always spike the meters, you know. Good. But that's how I got my job with Jerry because I laughed. Can we start with that point? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, Jerry, uh, how long were you guys on the air, A, and how did that team come together? Because it was uh, you, Alvex, and Jerry uh, together yeah. every Duncan morning. Stewart Duncan, did Duncan, Stewart. Duncan Stewart. Duncan Stewart. And, of course, uh, the late, the great Paul Randall and then oh, yes. Mike Bohan. Yes. Was yes. Talk about the laugh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and Mike. pipes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it, it was really a lot of fun. I mean, I was actually doing middays at SIX. I'm, I'm Louisiana, New York City, Nashville. That's how that came about for me. And so I was there. I was doing middays at WSIX. We got bought out as it, as it happened. Shocking and that there was media consolidation. Yeah. And then they said, Jerry House is coming back. And I had, did not know Jerry House. And they said, Jerry needs a producer. I said, what is that? They said, we don't know. He just wants one. He's coming back from LA and they always have producers. And I, and I said, well, do I have a job if I am not his producer? And they said, no. I said, I guess I'm going to be his producer. You know? <laughs> Hired. Yeah. <laughs> and then it set about this learning. I mean, I couldn't, I mean, I studied broadcasting. I've been in, I mean, I literally started in radio in 1976 and you know, they, you know, back in, in the seventies when everybody on radio smoked pot. I was 16 sure. years old and sure. the guy goes, I'll teach you how. Here's the mic. Oh, I thought it was Here's to teach you how to pot, smoke well, pot. They no? probably did later, but <laughs> not when I was 16. And my and and we'd queue up records and he says, okay, I'm gonna go smoke and I'll be right back. And he never came back. That's the age old story <laughs> that my first night on the radio. And do you know here's the crazy thing. My sweet dad, he's he's a he's a he's a girl dad. <laughs> He took me down there to work overnights and sat out in the parking lot uh, with a thermos of coffee and waited for his little girl. I, for, I was probably 35 before I realized that he had stayed there. Every night I worked overnight, he was there in the parking lot the whole night. We don't get emotional here, okay? And you just, <laughs> that's not our 
jam. And you just, that's one of the more beautiful stories I've heard about anything. And Isn't you didn't that the know sweetest? for no. sweetest. Do you talk about true love? Yeah. That's, like uh, daddy's that's my dad. girl. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. And he, that was an era of, and he listened to you probably in the car. Oh, I'm going to oh, guess, oh, right? Wasn't I'm it sure. The, I'm yeah. sure he would turn on and listen mm-hmm. and whatever to hear his little girl, you know, you know, introduce Loretta Lynn records, you know, sure. it uh, being on the radio was huge. Oh, huge. Because that's all you had. It was TV, newspaper, and radio. That was all the outlets. There was, yeah. you know, the 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 mystery, the who, the man behind the curtain, the uh, magic you could make on radio. Uh, especially Jerry did it so well with all oh. his characters. That and Jerry and Carl P. Mayfield. We were blessed in Nashville to have two unbelievable great morning shows at the same time. And so it was just a, a great moment when you were on the radio. First time I heard myself on the radio, I just thought I was possibly the biggest thing ever. And I was doing overnights. You still are. <laughs> it really, it, it, but it transcended. It transcended everything because you opened a microphone and then all of a sudden things like the, the request line connected you to people that you, you didn't know, but they would call in. And, and I always thought some of those people, you were their only connection to another human being. So I took it. It was a big responsibility to be on the radio and to pick up that phone. And Jerry, people don't know this, but he didn't want one phone unanswered. So I would answer like 400 phone calls a morning. It was, I mean, it was the, that's yeah, carpal the tunnel syndrome, just, just moving. Do your you arm know, honestly, I did. I did get that. I had, I went to the doctor and he said, so I started wearing a brace from answering the that dumb telephone and typing. And, Workman's and, comp, Jerry. But he, but you know what? He, he took his list. He said, they're our audience. He said, no matter what a consultant says, no matter what a GM says, whatever he said, no matter what they tell you, if it's 2% of the answering audience, he said, they're your people you find out what they need. And, um, and he said, and you're also my firewall, (laughs) you know, he, you know, he said, you've been my firewall for years, you know? So I was with Jerry house for 18 years and it was, he taught me show prep. People still look at my show prep and they go, why, why do you do that? And two, how do you do that? And I said, I didn't do anything compared to Jerry house. He worked harder than any human being I've ever seen in this business. It came off like that. The show was very tight uh, because uh, as being on the radio later in the day, you'd go, man, they're using the same mics. But how did they get all that going on that they had? Uh, Jerry had all his characters and his content was stellar. And he was a songwriter. And one accolade I left off is you are a songwriter as well. Mm-hmm. You guys would write songs together, had a big song with George Strait. Yeah. Uh, how did how did you guys work together with songwriting? Sometimes great. Sometimes not. I mean, we, we, that's the only time that, I mean, he, you know, sometimes he, cause I would, he would write with me. He said, you're the person who, you're my person who will say no. You're my person who will bring an idea or who will say, no, it's not it. It's not it. And he wasn't used to people saying that. And, but we got some really good songs at, at, as a result, you know, uh, uh, uh. Leon Womack, I think, did one of your songs, Pam Tillis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hank Williams Jr., my first big oh, yeah. cut in this town I wrote with Jerry and a guy named Michael Bornheim. What was the song? Uh, a Diamond Mind. Nice. I'm going to listen Diamond. to it today. Yeah, it's fun. My little sister, who was just on Murphy Brown, she came in and was yeah. in the video. And we d- shot it at the Wrangler. Remember the Wrangler on Murfreesboro yes. Road? Oh, my God, Yes. How about about Silverado? Do you remember Silverado? No, I do. When I first came to town, I would go there after the show. My wife hadn't moved here yet, and we'd go out, and I wanted to have a beer. So I went, whoa, did I have a beer? I mean, I kick her bar, and I I just, Mm -hmm. I didn't realize I probably shouldn't 
<laughs> there in a suit and tie and you know the city know slicker comes in but nobody okay. bothered me no yeah, no cool. it was a place to go dance and i swear to you that was a place we all wanted to go at brian kennedy who you know ended up you know on the road with garth brooks but brian kennedy best dancer in the world and girl we'd all be lined up just to dance with brian kennedy <laughs> well this was post-urban cowboy <laughs> yeah. and so oh, you would go yeah. to these con- these clubs to dance dancing was a big thing mm-hmm. there and drink 82,000 long neck beers. Common sense would tell you not to look to Joe and John for this, but time for life lessons from Joe and John. Devin, we keep this Nashville centric. We, Joe and I, uh, we, we laugh about how we all got here when we were 10 years old. We didn't circle Nashville and say we had to get to Nashville and we moved here and We've been here and we've had careers here. Uh, those are over now. But um, <laughs> what, but but what uh, when you talk about that triangle of going from Louisiana to was Nashville? What's your Nashville story? Did you come for the job and did you think okay, we're, or I want to move on to Los Angeles? What was your what was your dream? I was a country songwriter back when I was 13, 14, 15 years old, and I wrote for <laughs> down in Louisiana for a guy named Jay Chevalier who had, we had a live show, much like the Opry, and it was live on the radio and whatever. And I wrote a lot of the songs as a 15-year-old that they sang on the show. So, um... What can't you do? With, uh, this is just taunting keep now. Keep a house. I mean, <laughs> I'm a terrible, I mean, all the girl stuff that it's, I'm, I'm, I suck at all that. I'm terrible, terrible. But, but I can do a lot of career That was close. Stuff. We almost got the explicit. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's why I'm glad you told me that I'm not supposed to do that. Cause I'm the one I was, you know, I am not politically correct. And I do throw in, and Jerry would say, you know, our little darling. <laughs> <laughs> Bless her little potty mouth. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's terrific. I didn't, they, they didn't have to worry about any of the guys doing that. They go, we just sick Devin on them. <laughs> well, some of your books that you've written are uh, Southern-based mm-hmm. food. Yeah, you, my- even on Main Street, uh, you've got a great a taste of Nashville uh, that you and John have yes. done some episodes. Where, how did Louisiana influence your Southern roots and all that came out forward Look, from there? It's where I was born. And I was not, and people always say, oh, Cajun, Cajun. Look, I went to New Orleans down in the Creole once in my whole life right. when I was living there. And I've been several times since, but it was where the devil lived. We were Baptists. We were from North Louisiana. I'm from Monroe. Monroe, if you're from Red- Monroe, <laughs> if you're from somewhere else. But it's Monroe, if you're from Monroe. Monroe. <laughs> and uh, and uh, then I moved down to Alexandria Pineville, central Louisiana, 30 minutes north of culture. So, uh, <laughs> but it, you know, it. It really influenced. It's just being in the South, the music, it's that the blues and that groove. And that's just part of what it is. And the food was amazing. Even in crappy places that you go, that we're going to go there. And I go, yeah, Tim McGraw and I, I, you know, we're talking about it because he's from the same little area. He and I were both in the electones, which was the jazz choir that had electric in- instruments. The electones. The electones. Nice. And he and I jazz fusion. (laughs) I don't know. Right. That's what bad rock bands are called. Oh, it's jazz. It's jazz. (laughs) Sure. Well, we did things like um, uh, 
you know, Manhattan transfer and stuff. It was vocal jazz and I stuff like you. that, you know, cause I, and I could read vocal charts and stuff. So I, and it paid my way through school. It was my, it was a full, full ride scholarship. So I, oh. I'll be an electone. Yes, whatever. It's a stupid name, but I'll be there. Tim McGraw, same group. He was also, we were both in uh, the Pi Kappa Alpha fraternity. Yeah. Whatever yeah. happened to Tim? Did everything work I out? I don't know. I don't no, know. Just but, another, just one night, you know, one year wonder. But do you know that a lot of our fraternity brothers still work in his organization? <laughs> That's great. Still there. And the fire truck that he used in some of his uh, videos that's the Pike fire the truck. Pike that truck. it is. It's from back when we were in college. Yeah. Every Pike house had a fire truck. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I was a Sigma Nu at Western Kentucky, and we rolled the Pike fire truck <laughs> down the hill. Uh, that's very Christian of you. Forty <laughs> years later, I can admit this as it wiped out endless cars as it banged its way down there. But it, you <laughs> sidetrack. Yeah. Oh, it was great. It was the fun stuff. It, it was, was the fun. Stuff. Stuff. We were crazy. Political correctness did not exist when I was in college, so it was just tremendous. It was always a one-upmanship. Um, and, that, Devin, that's what's fun about you. You'll get in the mix with anybody. I don't think there's a person in the world you couldn't hang with in a I room on the microphone. Do you find that challenging? Uh, or, you know, do you when, when people come in the radio, you interview them, you get people of all kinds of personalities. You can probably pretty size them up pretty quick and hang on their level. You know, it's funny that you say that. They would give me a lot of record labels. They'd say, we're going to do a radio special, but we have people who won't talk. So we'll give Devin to them because she'll get something out of them. Yeah. You know, like uh, Toby Keith is notorious about, they said, he's a terrible interview, terrible. It was the best interview ever. And they're going, how do you do that? John Michael Montgomery never talked. He literally cried at the end. Of the, he was talking about his wife. Mm. I said, you know why they talk? And I said, they, why, why? I said, because I shut up and I let, I listen and I right. want to know. You know, if you ask someone a question that they haven't been asked, all of a sudden they go, and uh, the, and being psychic is part of it because I can pretty much. She's a psychic too, by the way. Yeah, I, I intuit from people mm-hmm. something that they've always want to talk about. And then they get asked that question. It's like, and, and media will ask the same damn question every time you go to a, ra- you know, you do a radio tour, same question over and over. You glaze over, mm-hmm. but then you ask them, hey, where did you get baptized? Where, what's your story? Because I know there is one. And then they light up and they go, a rock quarry in, you know, Oak Mulgee, Oklahoma. It was the craziest thing. We went down and they tell this story and it's something nobody else has ever asked them. So they get in great detail and then you go, yeah, that, yeah you know, that's it. <laughs> a lot of your comments come from spirituality. One of yeah. the books you wrote were uh, My Angels Wear Fur. Mm-hmm. Talk about your, <laughs> what, I, I, you know, I, I just have, I don't feel sorry for people because they can help themselves, but animals can't. Right. And uh, I've always been a dog and cat lover, and mm-hmm. they're just the greatest. The, the, who has loved me more in my life is my cat and my dog. Uh, talk about some of the rescues that you've taken in and how how, how, the, how the furry beasts have influenced your life. They're incredible because when I wouldn't listen to somebody in a pulpit, when I wouldn't listen to somebody that was trying to preach at me, and a dog would walk in or into my life and find me or a horse would find me or something in in the animal world. And somehow God would speak even through that. I always say um, God rode, <laughs> Jesus rode to town on an ass and he's still doing it today. Sometimes that happens and the word comes through and uh, unconditional love, things about trust, things about uh, belief. You know, because because your your dog 
trust that you're going to show up when you're you're supposed to show up. And if you forget to feed him, he'll let you know. But at the same time, he's still going to crawl up in your lap and go, it's okay. I can eat later. Yeah, I love them too much. I love I love my dog too much. I never thought I had that in me, Mm -hmm. and and it just I just I I yeah. You know what? We're we're not we're going to go to the next segment. (laughs) (laughs) I went down on that. Rapid rapid fire. There will be no emotion. There will be no emotion. John is embarrassed by emotion, Devin. I'm going to get him to cry before this is I over. That's my new my new thing is like, I know there's something you know, in there. Yeah, You had it going. Yeah, you were so close. He's like, let's get at Until it. Until I pointed at the producer, Justin, play the next singer. So, yeah, horrible segue. That was just awful. So, Devin, <laughs> yeah, we ask rapid fire questions and we, uh, we just, we talk uh, endlessly uh, about them. So there's nothing rapid fire about it. But Joe, what do you got there, bud? What's in the... Uh, I ask everyone, are you on still CDs or are you totally an Apple-based listening off your phone kind of person? And what are you listening to now? You know what? Um, I I listen to a lot of different things. I do have CDs. I do listen, but mostly, mostly through my phone. Mostly, honestly, is Apple-based. And um, Ryan Bingham, who I discovered through the Yellowstone soundtrack, yeah. uh, love him. And there's a new kid that I've discovered that I really love. Uh, Garrett Bradford, who is a cowboy who just had a, so- a song on Yellowstone and a singer songwriter from Kentucky. Her name is Sarah Beth Terry and she's hysterical. She's always on the edge. Don't ask her about politics or she will tell you whether you want to know or not. But she, but she is she's one of these genius, brilliant songwriters. And uh, so that's who I'm listening to right now. Give me your celebrity crush when you were a teenager. Michael Landon, little Joe Cartwright was my celebrity crush. He was my, uh, he was my first boyfriend, my first fictitious mm-hmm. TV boyfriend. A uh, good, um, a righteous Landon? man. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Little House on the Prairie. We would watch it. I, I had a crush oh, on the- uh, and that, and that who she, she, yeah. she met? Yeah, yeah. Bonanza yeah, yeah. before yeah. that, right? Yeah. Right. Um, there was uh, Mary Jo Angles. Oh, was it Mary Jo? It was Mary Angles, the one with the really pretty eyes. Yeah. Oh, she was so pretty. But I would always watch the end, the beginning of it because I wanted to see the girl fall, the little girl fall down the yeah. hill. That was that was so much fun. It was like, here she goes, face plant. Oh, I loved it. And then I turned it off. Yeah. And then, no, most Gilbert was on that. Yeah. Okay. Oh, man. That's mean, isn't it? That was good. Okay. I do. I, I I don't. That's going to be my random ruminations. Where is Mary Ingalls or whatever her name is? We'll put that as the gif, as the gif. Falls GIF. gets back up. Falls gets back up. <laughs> that's what yeah. they do. I mean, got one. Yeah. yeah. You're up, Bo. Um, No, I asked the uh, celebrity crush. Oh. Sorry. I got wrapped up and watched <laughs> the did. girl fall down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> one that comes out every episode is what advice would you give your 18-year-old self now? Um, the same thing someone told me, don't let anybody tell you what you can't do. And if they do find somebody else. Nice. So, you know, look for the yeses, look for the yeses and don't let the no stop you. Uh, tell me about your baptism. You know what? Oh, <laughs> how's that for good. listening to a guest and then segue? segue. That, well that that was so, so good. good. North Monroe My Baptist back hurts. Church. I patted it so hard. <laughs> Seven years old, and I really I was, 
you know, Reverend Jim Thomasy had led a revival, and they said she's too young to 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 know what she's doing. Well, they questioned me and asked me to make sure, and I did. But I was raised by a Baptist deacon, and my grandfather's a Baptist preacher. So I was like, you know, it was you know in me. And so I knew what I was doing. And so when it came time for baptism, I wanted my best dress, which was, uh, it was a flower girl dress. It went all the way to the floor. It was my nicest dress, but it was in the 70s. So it was double knit, which was that heavy polyester stuff that melted if you got near it. Yeah. It went in the water and it, 40-pound rucksack. They couldn't get me out. I mean, I was not, They, like, went under the water. H- and I thought, help. But I'm getting baptized because I'm meeting Jesus. You know? It's like, We're going to do it two for one. <laughs> Come on, say goodbye. Walk across the bridge toward the light, girl. That was my baptism. And all the Baptist churches then had, like, the River Jordan painted in the baptistry. They don't have them now. Now, cowboy churches, now you go and you get baptized in a feed trough. Or the water trough, you know, that came from tractor supply. And but the the old Baptist churches had those paintings. And I don't even know to this day, don't know who did the paintings in those churches, but they all had them. Mm-hmm. You know? Great symbolism. Um, I w- I've been to Israel several times. The uh-huh. Jordan River is not like some glorious, beautiful river. It's a tiny river and sort of run down Israel and it's cold. So folks go over and are constantly getting baptized and they have on their little white gown, but man, they're getting into about 45 degree water. Got to earn it. It comes out (laughs) ice cold. Well earned. Uh, Dead or alive, uh, what would be a, a great dinner party? Two or three guests that you would like to have? Okay. Right off. Cause she just passed is Kirstie Alley. Okay, I would well, just, yeah. I would love to have her at a, at, at one of those. Sneaky, and funny. Ooh. Yeah. Just, just funny, funny, funny yeah. people. Um, and I tell you, because we just lost him too, is Peter Cooper. Yeah. Yeah. The, the longtime Tennessean mm-hmm. writer, I, you know, and then went to the hall of fame. Uh, I was, I was never in awe of a lot of local uh, TV or radio or newspaper people, but Peter had, he had it, man. He was, he was, I didn't know him that well. I'm sure you knew him much, much, much better, but, uh, and the outpouring of, of love for him, um, you almost go, man, you shouldn't have to die to see and hear all that. Cause he meant so much to so many people. He did. And, and honestly, here's the thing about Peter. I did not know him that well, but I think that's the arc of a great journalist is that his magic was not how pe- well people knew him was, but how well he knew everyone. Yeah. And he was able to write people's story in a way, even if he wasn't complimentary, you respected his words and you go, yeah, you know, you're right. And he tried to make peace with, and he would stand by his words, but he would make peace with people. I know he and Jan Howard had an issue, you know, a longtime great member of the Grand Ole Opry. And they had an issue. They, she did not realize he had her on the record when she was talking at one time and she held a grudge mm-hmm. and, Finally, they they made peace, you know, and uh, it was it was really, and he made peace with just about everybody. Every that's the the beauty of him. Yeah. You know? him. Well, he was well, a great well stated. He had, he was a great singer songwriter too. Uh-huh. Guy yeah. had a tremendous voice. Peter Cooper. Look him up on the YouTube. There, you can find out some interesting stuff. Yeah. Uh, just a tremendous guy. It was a big loss uh, for Nashville. Peter was a reader. Uh, what's we'll talk books. What's the last book you read? Oh gosh, the last book I read. Um, oh, Green go. Green Lights, Matthew McConaughey. What? Is it good? Oh my 
gosh. Quick, quick review. Quick uh, review. It is a self-help book, but it really inspired me. It really inspired me. He has got, and it's a powerful book to not stop. Look for the green lights. It's like, look for the yeses, not the noes. It, and, um, and I will say, get it on audio because- Because he takes his shirt off. You can hear the buttons go. Is that- <laughs> No, you know what's so funny- he is not bad. He's not bad. I will say I would take that. Yeah. I would take it in bonus. A, you know, yeah. that, the bonus track of just him without a shirt. <laughs> yes. But the, it's just his delivery. You know, when he talks about it, he, he talks about life and and his ability to say no when they he said, I'm not going to stay in rom-coms for the rest of my life. And so they kept offering more money, 15 million, 30 million, whatever. And he kept saying no. He said, if I'm going to get out of this, I've got to stand by it. And right out after that came Dallas Buyers Club and all these Oscars. Amazing things, yeah. And had he not had the wherewithal to say no to the big money, he would have stayed in that groove. And you have to be able to walk away if you're going to get a new chapter out of your life. Sure. And uh, Matthew McConaughey, Greenlight? Greenlight. What's the name of that? Mm -hmm. What is chapter one called? All all right, all right, all right. It could have been, but he did talk about that particular (laughs) phrase and how that, it just, and that was an ad lib. I actually had a, there was a sleep app and I can't remember what it is right now. (laughs) Maybe we'd be sponsored if I could, but it was, they they were reading, um, they were different celebrities reading uh, just very soothing words and I, Matthew McConaughey was the first one and I was out like a light. <laughs> and so I listened to Matthew probably more than I should. Uh, with that, uh, we're going to move on. Yeah. Joe and John have come to the fork in the road. A sliding door moment, Devin. Uh, maybe it was in Louisiana, New York, a move in Nashville uh, that you caused or wasn't caused. What's, what's a moment that uh, something... Something uh, you could have done this, but you didn't, and you went over here. Uh, a, f- a fork in the road that kind of changed your ways uh, about where you ended up now. There are about a million of those along the way mm-hmm. for me because I mean I always say that hard to pick. It's it's it really is. hard to pick, but a kind of interesting one. I was in New York. My sister was. Um, I went from Louisiana to New York, but my sister went out of high school. And became an actress. Just she's my hero. She was my hero. So I went in and met her, um, her agent. You know, and they, oh yeah, we'd love to meet her. We, your sister? Oh my God, we got you working, and we'll get her working too. I walk in, you know, and here I'm five foot ten, and I think at the time I was between a size twelve and a size fourteen. And he looked and he says, "Oh, I'll, total New York." He said, "We can't work with you." And I said, well, "Why?" And he goes, "Well, you're too fat." to play a pretty role. You're too pretty to play a fat role. You're not old enough to do character. Yeah. I can't work with you. You got to have to find something else. So goodness. And it's New York. Yeah. But I respected that because I'm a larger person and that's, that's who I am. And I didn't, but I had seen a 60 minutes episode about a new division over at Ford modeling agency. And I left that not thinking I'm fat. I left thinking I'm pretty. (laughs) (laughs) So I went and I knocked on the red door, Ford Modeling Agency Mm -hmm. in New York City. And I said, I'm here to meet with the plus size division that's starting here at Ford. They were just starting. And I, they said, okay. They took me in. I went upstairs and they said, would you cut your hair? Because I had really long hair like I do now. And I said, yeah. And I, and so 
I, I said, sure, I'll, I'll cut my hair. They sent me over. Thank God they paid the bill because it was a place called Nardi, and it was a $450 haircut in 1984. Yeah. So I'm mean, huh. But I looked on my right, and it was Gloria Steinem in the other chair. I looked to my left, and it was Jacqueline Onassis in the other chair. And I thought, again, thank you, God, I'm not paying for this. But I became the first because you're our first and our only girl next door. So I was the girl next door. I was their only blonde, and I started working for J.C. Penney and Montgomery Ward and all these other, you know, different places that had plus size. And I did all these covers as a plus size model, and I was the very first. And Emmy took my place when I moved to Nashville, and Emmy took it to television. And in fact, it's so funny because everywhere I went after that, people would see me on planes and go, "Are you Emmy?" We look so much alike at the time with our short hair. We, we, we feel the same bill, but it was really nice because I was in that transition where women of size went from wearing big flowered moo-moos to like really stylish clothes. Yeah. Real quick comment on you're the perfect person to do this because you're, to me, you're right down the center and you have observations on both sides of the mm-hmm. fence. That's real well. Every CMA or every year that stuff generates, you'll hear a lot of Nashville, a lot of women saying the women are not represented in country music as almost they were pushed out of radio purposely. Uh, I've got two decades in radio and you have more than that. You know, I, I never recalled meetings of like, well, we're going to keep women out. It was just a different era of country music with your Conways and your Waylands and your Hanks and stuff. Talk about the evolution of women in Nashville and country music and where do you think, do you think that that's a little extreme comment, or do you just think it's the evolution of a lot more women artists that you hear now? Well, there was a time when I played two female artists back to back and program director, director ran down the hallway and said, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. But that was back in Louisiana in the seventies. And they didn't, I mean, you know, you, and you weren't allowed to play two women in the same quarter hour, two women in the same half hour. You just, you know, went, we were told they don't want to hear that many women. So, but that changed. You know, I always say, you know what? If you do great music, they're going to play you. They're going to play you. And there might still be a little bit of that. Uh, but I don't think there's some big thing. Oh, stop the women. Stop the women. Because women have, are kicking butt. Have you noticed yeah. lately? Yeah. You know, they're selling out. You know, they're. and if you have a problem, I always tell women, I said, if you are complaining about you're not getting your chance, you're make better music. And if you are a listener of music and you are upset that women aren't getting their due, buy more women music. Listen yeah, to more. It's sure. not that hard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, if you're buying it, they're going to sell it. You know, it, that's, that's where it all starts is that they are about the almighty dollar and they're business. You know, Walmart is too. I mean, they sell things at a discount, but they're still about the dollar. So that's the same way it is with music. And labels have way less control. Are there any labels anymore just about you can make your own music, uh, you can promote yourself, and yeah. there, are, there are just so many more outlets uh, with the intranet. Uh, <laughs> www. It's, uh, it's just a great era for women, for just for musicians from an era where we came right. from was you had to kind of go through the the corporate, you had to go through yeah. channels. 
Now, as we're doing, you can create your own content. <laughs> That's right. I go, look, they gave the keys to the kingdom to all the peasants. <laughs> Everybody gets to have it. Go and make. And I said, you know, uh, Steve Earle, and I had a conversation about this. He says, Devin, if you can get 250,000 fans who will buy one thing of yours every year, you'll have a really good living. That's a mm. great comment. Isn't that wonderful? And yeah. I and, and I always thought, and talk about a Renaissance guy. I mean, he can, he writes incredibly. His short stories are unbelievable. Doghouse Roses. I recommend it highly. Go get it and learn to write <laughs> by reading his work. But th- that is, we always think, oh, I got to fill a stadium. No, you don't. No. Nope. No. Yeah. Just find your niche. You got to wear shades. So we like to think of this as motivational, inspirational. You have been fantastic. <laughs> And want to know, because you have such a, a worldly view on things and you're, you are unfiltered uh, and graceful at the same time, uh, which is hard to do. That's a, that's a hard needle to thread there, but you do do it. Thank you. Uh, so as you look at Nashville and you look at music and you look at the industry and all this, give us hope on why, you know, people in you know, Nashville's lost its soul, yada, yada, yada. Tell me why it hasn't or will not. Every 10 years, it's cyclical. Every 10 years, you got people who bitch about stuff that I, I that probably get us one of those. Nah, but it's okay. Okay. Well, they get all upset and they go, oh, it's losing its soul and whatever. And there'll be a, a type of music that gets really popular and then people get tired of it. Okay. A new one will come through. I always say, we always wait for Randy Travis to walk in the door, <laughs> you know, and, you know, Randy Travis came in time. It's nobody wants real country. Nobody wants real country. Yeah, they did. So- he came and brought a whole new wave of traditional music. And I think we're, we're, we're poised for that again. But the truth is this town always stemmed from a song and it always comes back to that. Now it doesn't mean that other stuff doesn't kind of get filtered through and people will buy some really crappy stuff, but then the real songs come through. And in the last year, there are two songs. There's a guy named Hardy that I am not in his demographic, but he has a song called wait in the truck or the Mockingbird and the Crow, holy moly, he and Lainey Wilson did it. And it's just unbelievable on the CMA Awards, but I had it before that. It was a oh, great song. And uh, Till You Can't, Cody Johnson. The song is always the savior of this town. And nobody else writes songs like they do in Nashville. And it will save us over and over and over. Well, the city and the music industry are blessed to have someone that you outpoint to convey that, to get those people out there, to let their message be heard. And you're still doing it now. Your voice is all over the country and probably all over the world as a lot of people use you for to sponsor their products. Thank and, you. Uh, you were what's, that, to, to, what's that like? Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Not really. I'm cheap. It starts there. <laughs> oh, well, that's good stuff. <laughs> and um, it, it was just, we're, we're just so happy to have you here uh, today. And a, a quick side story is back in the Jerry House days, I was at 103 KDF, so we didn't care about anything. We were flamethrowers. Uh, everything was a fastball high and tight. And I called Jerry or I was calling you, uh, my band Government Cheese was playing yeah. at the XNN, I think, which just recently shut down. And uh, I had the line to the your house number, you know, the office, the yeah. off-campus. The, the hotline. The, the hotline. Yeah. I don't know how I got it. Um, and so Jerry answers the phone. I instantly recognize his voice. And I said, uh, I said, can I speak to Devin? Who is this? 
I said, give me Devin, bitch. And I didn't care. I knew it was Jerry. And he's like, oh, hang on. And you got on. But uh, you were used to do a kind of a Friday calendar of stuff that was going yeah, around yeah. town. And you mentioned our name on the radio, and it was just the greatest day in the world. Because you had the greatest name to mention. Government our cheese, man. Yeah. Government cheese. But uh, you're, you're a woman of the people. Uh, you always lift up those around you. And uh, may God bless you and keep you, and may God make his face shine upon you continuously and give you peace. Oh, I love that. That, that means a lot. Yeah, eye. it means a lot more coming from Joe. If I said that, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you'd be like, I'd, I'd probably spontaneously yeah. combust in my chair. There'd no, be a little pile angel, of dust right angel here. Angel above your head. Yeah, John. that's why Lindley and I, we didn't get married <laughs> in a church. We just said, don't even push your luck. <laughs> the Lord's going to look down and go, Really? Yeah. Really? You two? You know, I don't think so. Here's you know what? the crazy part. He was there anyway. He, See? He was. He didn't hang out in churches. He, here's here's what I tell you, that yeah. that if I if I was on trial for being a good person, um, this is what a religion teacher told me. Uh, if you were on trial for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? And not Christian, maybe, but good person, maybe, maybe. I know for a fact there is. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I got you fooled too. But anyway, it's wonderful. <laughs> Devin, thank you for your time and uh, really look forward to working with you on a monthly basis with uh, Taste of Nashville. That's been that's been a real fun, fun gig and you make it uh, fun. You, when you walk into it, you make, you make Nashville better. You make people uh, feel better and uh, you're just a day brightener, girl. Thank you. Okay? Well, I think the same about both of you. I appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks for your time. On the second cup of Joe... And John! It's the second cup of Joe and John as their guests expound on any and all topics within the realm of decency. Want to be a sponsor? Let a TV and radio guy help build your business. Email the show, John at gmail.com. Now, hold on tight and grab another second cup of Joe and John. <laughs> 